0: This episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com slash history and enter offer code history at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from
1: HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. So today we are continuing our story of the Batavia, which is a story that includes just about everything that could go wrong at sea. There are storms and sicknesses that we haven't really talked about, but they were there. And then also a shipwreck and a mutiny and a
0: massacre. Yeah, definitely some bad behavior going on aboard.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about the only people who really come out looking pretty good in this whole situation. We don't hear about them until the very end. So our last episode, which, you know, if you're going out of order, I encourage you to listen to that one first. That was the shipwreck part of this story, plus a little bit about a mutiny that never really got off the ground. Where we left off, the upper merchant, Francisco Pelsert, has left hundreds of survivors on a few tiny islands off the coast of Australia. Uh, he and nearly every other senior officer on the ship have gone all the way to Indonesia and back to get help. So we know that they got to Indonesia. We know they got back. This episode is what happened while they were gone.
0: So nobody on the islands, as we talked about at the end of the last episode, knew that Pelsert had decided to go to Batavia for help. They had no way of finding out about his progress. They just knew that they hadn't seen anything of him or the skipper for days. But about a week after the search party left in their longboat, the survivors finally got an authority figure. The Batavia finally broke apart, forcing Cornelis to join the survivors that were on these islands. So just
1: for context, about 40 people died when the Batavia broke apart. The survivors clung to rafts that they had made on board as it became clear that the time of the ship was drawing to a close. Uh, Cornelis in particular survived by climbing the bowsprit at the fore of the ship and then clinging to it when it broke off and using it to
0: float to land. And for the backstory we promised on him earlier, Cornelis was an educated, literate man from an affluent family. He had trained and apprenticed as an apothecary, and he started his own apothecary practice. He had been married and had a child, but the baby unfortunately died in its infancy. And first, a deranged and incompetent midwife had handled the delivery, and she failed to deliver part of the placenta. So his wife got a life-threatening infection as a result. And then they had to hire a wet nurse while she recovered. And the wet nurse, unfortunately, gave the baby syphilis. It was just the worst possible series of events for a birth.
1: Well, it's also kind of unclear exactly how he was such a poor judge of character to have hired both an incompetent midwife and, uh, as we are about to tell you, a clearly unwell wet nurse for the baby. So in spite of Cornelis getting sworn statements from basically everybody attesting to the fact that he was completely clean and the wet nurse was of abominable character and obviously poor health. Everyone still assumed that the baby had gotten syphilis from his mother and this was a huge stigma and a very terrible reflection on Cornelis and his family and his practice. Like, obviously, if the baby had gotten syphilis, it had gotten syphilis from his mother and that meant that his mother or his father, somebody had been unfaithful in this situation. Like, there was a whole boatload of social expectation and, and rules for behavior
0: Yeah, that, and that this meant, violated. And that meant that as an apothecary, there was sickness introduced into that as well.
1: Yeah. So his business seriously suffered as a result, and it had already been on shaky footing even before this scandal happened. All of this combined with demands for reparation from a merchant who had loaned Cornelis money to put him completely under, and otherwise he'd not really have had any reason to go to sea.
0: And he had also developed sort of a strange personal, religious, and moral code. It was a hodgepodge of influences from throughout his life. It combined Anabaptist and Mennonite teachings with the blasphemous and heretical philosophies of a Dutch painter named Johannes Simons van der Beek, who also was known as Torrentius. And somewhere along the line, he picked up ideas from Epicurus as well, along with the antinomian idea that you only need faith to attain salvation.
1: So reason number two that Cornelius had taken to a life at sea. Tarantius wound up on trial for his heretical beliefs and other stuff. And Cornelius realized that he was extremely lucky not to have been named in the proceedings, which would have resulted in him being prosecuted as well. So all of this together made it seem really prudent that he get as far away as possible.
0: I'm, again, lack of judgment, maybe. Uh, On top of prompting him to abandon his wife and his home, these philosophical and religious influences led Cornelis to hold some troubling beliefs of his own. He deeply believed that every action that he personally undertook was divinely inspired. And this also meant that nothing he could do, no matter what it was, could be considered sinful or evil, because it had all been inspired by God. So... When
1: the, when the Batavia broke up, this became the highest ranking man on the islands. And before, I know, before we talk about what he did, let's take a moment and talk about a word from our sponsor. To get back to Cornelis's plan for world domination, the people who were left on the islands really felt like Pelsert had abandoned them when they really, really needed him. And so, Cornelius was really, without a whole lot of effort, able to recruit about 40 men to continue in his original plan to commit mutiny, even though the ship they were going to originally use for this plan was now destroyed. Instead, what he and his mutineers planned to do was to commandeer whatever ship came to their rescue and then to use it to become pirates.
0: It's hard not to giggle. I feel like this is a plan that like a 10-year-old put together.
1: The plans of this story are not good plans, but the results are horribly tragic.
0: Yeah. Uh, To make sure he would face no opposition, he started systematically removing people who might not be down with his mutiny plan from the island. This also gave him fewer mouths to feed. Even though the current really had delivered a bunch of supplies from the Batavia to the islands, it still wasn't enough to sustain everyone there. And everybody he got rid of that was not uh, on his team, so to speak, would make it all last a little bit longer.
1: Yeah, everybody had sort of felt like it was a huge long shot to think that the Batavia would break apart and the current would bring supplies to them. That
0: did actually happen. Like the one thing that worked out.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like a lot of supplies because it was like hundreds of barrels of things. But that it was not, when you looked at how many mouths there were to feed, that did not actually equate many days of sustenance yeah. for anybody. So, uh, Cornelis started sending people off to the other nearby islands, and he would tell them that there was water there, or he would send them there to search for water, or some other ploy, and he basically sent them off to these islands and didn't expect them to survive. He was expecting them to die of hunger and
0: thirst. Horrible man. Uh, (laughs) I'm editorializing, but I don't know how you can't come to that conclusion at that point. Uh, He also started sending people out in boats, presumably as scouts. But he'd also put men that were loyal to him on those boats, uh, and they would throw his targets overboard and leave them to drown. Really systematic. Yeah.
1: He also straight up had his cronies murder people who were sick or hurt. And they left most of the women alive when so that he and his crew could use them for sexual purposes. Uh, he also claimed Lucretia Jans as his own sexual toy. So on top of all these murders, there were many, many rapes happening on the island.
0: When he saw survivors on one island continuing to wander around the shore when he thought they should be dead, uh, and that his little, I'll just get rid of them this way, plan had not worked out, he sent men in boats to kill them as well.
1: So, as a result of all of this, Beacon Island later came to be known as Batavia's Graveyard.
0: This strategy of removing threats from the island became Cornelis' downfall. He sent a group of soldiers led by Wibby Hayes to two large islands, where they, uh, which they were calling the High Islands. Pelser and company had already searched these islands and reported that they had no water, but that was not widespread knowledge. And Cornelis confiscated the soldiers' weapons and sent them there, assuming that they would just die of thirst.
1: Yeah, he was like, you guys go search these There's big islands totally water
0: over there, you guys. Go find it.
1: Yeah. Libby Hayes, on the other hand, was a good leader. And, you know, his soldiers under his direction were very industrious. They built a shelter. They conducted this methodical search for water. They would like they, they would nourish themselves from water that had been collected in, in little pits in the rock. As they systematically conducted this widespread search, they eventually found two cisterns. On top of that, the two islands, which uh, they were right next to each other, they could get between them. They were later named East and West Wallaby Island. They were home to wallabies and lots of birds, uh, which gave them a pretty ample supply of food. Apparently, the fishing near these islands was also pretty awesome. So they were also, you know, in addition to the fact that they found water, they found food, Uh, they made a shelter, and they started making simple weapons with which to defend
0: themselves. And when Hayes' men found the cisterns, they sent up a smoke signal. This was their prearranged method of letting Cornelis know that there was water. And while water was awesome and all, Cornelis immediately saw the soldiers, their water supply, their vantage point, and their smoke signals as a threat. How dare you be more industrious and successful than me?
1: Well, so how dare you now have things to eat and water to drink and weapons to defend yourself with? Because they were industrious. (laughs) Yeah, and a little shelter that they built out of rocks. yeah. So first he tried to persuade them to join his mutineers and they refused uh, after which a big fight followed. Um, And so Hayes and his men drove Cornelis and his men off. So after that, Cornelis sent an attack party to try to kill them. And by this point, Hayes' men, who had named themselves the Defenders, had really organized themselves. They had tried to rescue other survivors. They fought back, and after a really bloody battle, the soldiers executed five of Cornelis' men, and they captured Cornelis himself and held him prisoner as they continued to wait for rescue.
0: Cornelis' cronies, who had not been part of this failed overthrow of Webby Hayes, were smart enough to stay away from the Wallaby Islands from that point. They recognized that they were not going to win against the people. <laughs> they were outmatched.
1: Yeah. Uh, by perhaps the man who should have been in charge from the beginning. S- from the beginning. <laughs> that is my editorializing of this situation. So finally, after a month spent getting, uh, back to Australia from Indonesia, and then another month spent in a frustrating search to try to figure out where they had left that shipwreck, Pelsert and his yacht wound up back at Batavia's graveyard. Uh, it sounds maybe a little ridiculous that they got back to Australia and they could not find the shipwreck, but at this point the ship had been destroyed and the, the area was not charted in the first place. Yeah, they didn't
0: know where they were when they wrecked to begin yeah. with, so.
1: Yeah, so he wound up back, uh, back in the area. He disembarked on an island that was about a mile away from the Wallaby Islands and they had water and wine and bread for the survivors with them.
0: Soon, Webby Hayes and three other men rode up and told them to get back aboard the yacht because there were two parties of Cornelius's men on the loose, and they meant to commandeer the yacht.
1: Uh, and they did, in fact, try to do that. They, uh, The remaining mutineers found the yacht. They tried to board it, but Pelsert and this crew, having now advanced knowledge of what was going on, captured them. And while questioning his newfound prisoners... Pelsert learned that Jacobs and Cornelis' original plan to mutiny had started way, way back before the ship
0: was even shipwrecked in the first place. After Hayes handed Cornelis over, Pelsert questioned him, then went to round up the rest of his co-conspirators. And while a few seemed to have evaded capture, most surrendered on the spot.
1: Pelsert interrogated all of the accomplices and uh, found out that their crimes included, in addition to mutiny and murder, rape, looting, and treason.
0: Their trials, uh, which were really torture and interrogation, and their executions, were carried out on Seals Island. All of the primary mutineers had their right hands cut off. Cornelis had both of his hands cut off. And then all of them were hanged on October 2nd of 1629, roughly a year after the Batavia set sail from Holland. And those hanged on Seals Island were left dangling from the gallows. Pelsert also marooned two of the
1: youngest members of the crew in Australia. The rest of them were keeled, hauled and dropped from yard arms and flogged on the way back to Batavia, where they were ultimately executed.
0: Before leaving the islands, Pelsert led a pretty successful salv- salvage mission, la- loading up the Sardam with as much as they could find before returning to Batavia. And they arrived there on December 5th of 1629. Even though he had done his ultimate job of protecting the cargo, eventually, after a fashion, uh, his career never really recovered from this whole incident, and he died not long after, probably of the same illness that had brought him down on board. And it was after he died that they discovered his illicit money lending business, uh, which he was funding with company money. Yeah. So, again, it's hard to root for very many people in the story, even no. though he seems kind of stand up in many ways. <laughs> he compared to the other people on board. There were still some.
1: There were issues. Yeah. And then the VOC didn't actually make a lot of money, even though he. He did salvage a lot of the stuff because the person they had been planning to sell all of this stuff to by the time it was all said and done was no longer in power. And the person who had taken his place did not really care about the stuff that had been brought over. It was a failure in a lot of ways. Uh, the last living mutineers who had come all the way back to Batavia were uh, eventually executed there. And in the end, out of the 316 people who were aboard the Batavia when it wrecked, only about 116 survived.
0: Webby Hayes was commissioned as an officer on arrival in Batavia, and all his soldiers were promoted from privates to cadets.
1: Uh, Lucretia Jans, who at one point during the trials was accused by her rapists of having tempted them into it, arrived in Batavia to learn that her husband had been dead for at least five months.
0: We don't really know whether Cornelis' wife ever learned of his treachery. Her story sort of fades away after a prolonged and public back and forth with the syphilitic wet nurse that they had hired.
1: So, lobster fishermen found the Batavia's wreckage in 1963, and part of the hull was raised from the ocean floor, and it's now displayed in the Western Australian Maritime Museum. And there are also other artifacts from the wreck that are on display there and in other museums.
0: There has also been an extensive study of bodies from Batavia's graveyard and surrounding islands. It's basically super horrifying.
1: Yeah, lots of evidence of how people were brutally bludgeoned to death and had multiple broken bones and skull fractures, and it's pretty terrible. Uh, in a weird way, the Batavia and its shipwreck wound up being uh, the source of a whole lot of firsts slash other notable historical things, like uh, it was the first Dutch ship lost off the coast of Australia.
0: Webby Hayes' shelters were the first European structures on the continent of Australia, and the ruins of those shelters still stand today.
1: The two marooned mutineers were the first European residents of Australia.
0: The Batavia is the only VOC ship to have been archaeologically raised and conserved.
1: This whole incident also inspired the VOC to methodically map the coastline of Australia so that perhaps such a disaster would never happen again.
0: Yeah, that'll make you not want to get on a boat.
1: But the, the whole story has so many layers of just
0: bizarre awfulness,
1: awfulness that keeps awful. getting worse and more awful. Uh, I think this is one, I don't remember who, I think this is one that someone suggested on Twitter. And I was kind of like, ah, mutinies, mutinies sound good. And then I took one look at it and went, wait, this is more than just a mutiny. There's yeah. a whole lot more than mutiny going on here.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like a uh, a portrait of, like, the worst of humanity in many ways. Yeah. Uh, that. Troubling. Yeah.
1: I like Webby Hayes. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of fades away from history. We don't really know what happened to him. It's kind of assumed that perhaps he died of some sort of tropical illness. We, we just don't have a lot of historical record on him after the end of the Batavia story. But... Yeah, while everybody else was having some Lord of the Flies action, he was, he was keeping things in order. Civil and- His ducks were in a row. Yeah. So, uh, I have a little listener mail. Stupendous! This listener mail is from Alexander. And Alexander says, Dear Tracy and Holly, I've been a longtime listener of the podcast. And while not as regular as I like to be, try to listen as much as I can. They certainly help an otherwise slow day at work fly by. While listening to past episodes, I heard your podcast on say, Shonagon, and I wanted to pass on an interesting fact about the period. As a history major that focused on Asian studies, i had always wondered why medieval Japan had so many female authors as opposed to the rest of the world, which focused more on male-dominated traditions. While women in the Heian court were responsible for many great literary works of the time, and then in parentheses, The Tale of Genji, and The Pillow Talks in particular, the men of the period didn't really come up with much to match. This had remained a mystery to me until recently. It turns out that a big reason for Heian Court's prolific female population and lackluster showing from the men has to do with court tradition. As you guys mentioned in the podcast, the Heian Court was largely dominated by Chinese culture and tradition. This had a major effect on how court nobles conducted themselves, including the language that they would write in. It was considered proper and sophisticated for male noblemen to write and speak in Chinese, while women were expected to know Japanese. This ironically had a negative influence on men and their poetry because they would be writing using a second language, which resulted in mediocre literary works. On the other hand, women in the Heian court were able to write in their first language, which facilitated much more artistic and literary ability. This resulted in a much higher quality of literary writings, such as The Tale of Genji uh, and pillow books from the female population, while the male population tended to lag behind. That is fascinating.
0: It is. It rang a distant bell in my head. I vaguely remember at one point hearing about uh, the separation of languages across the sexes, but I that's as far as my brain went with it. Yeah, so it's cool to get uh, more in-depth, yes, analysis of how that all panned out.
1: So thank you very much for that note. If you would like to write to us, you can. We are at HistoryPodcast.Discovery.com. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash mist in history and on Twitter at in History. Our Tumblr is com. Our Pinterest is Pinterest.com slash missed in history. One more time we are at com as well. Uh you can come to our website, our other website, which is HowStuffWorks.com. We have two websites now. If you would like to learn more about what we talked about today. You can come to our other website, which is HowStuffWorks.com, to learn a little bit more about what we talked about today. Put in the words East India Company, and you will learn about one of the other East India companies, which is the British East India Company. You can do all of that and a whole lot more at our website, which is HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. As a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and movies streaming directly to your PC, Mac, or right to your TV with your Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii console, plus Apple devices, Kindle, and Nook. Get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to www.netflix.com and sign up now.